Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Holman, and you are listening to the Save from Death podcast. Um, in the Save from Death podcast, what I'm doing, I'm giving basically, uh, it's more or less going to be a testimony of how God has saved me from death. I'm going to explain what death is, the death he's saving me from, and then explain um, the process, you know, how he's worked in my life to, to accomplish this. Um, so it's more or less a testimony. However, the first two episodes will be a little bit more geared towards um, giving God a chance to, before I really just begin to give my testimony and say, this is what God is doing. I'm trying to make sure that God isn't wanting to, you know, call other people along the journey with me. Um, and so I'm kind of, these first two episodes have been sort of dedicated. They're dedicated to that idea. It's giving God a chance. I'm kind of speaking outward to others. Um, and kind of not really, I want to say I'm trying to warn others, just kind of give a chance for God to wake up some other people um, to what it is to do the will of God and what sin is and, and, how, um, and how important it is that we do the will of God. Give God a chance to speak into the lives of others if he intends to call others through, um, through this podcast, through my speaking. Um, I really, at this point, don't believe that's the case. I just kind of want to give God that chance. So, um, once this episode, this is episode two, once it's done, um, I do believe things are going to change for me and, and, and the way I move forward. I will begin at that point. If God does not open up a door, if this episode stays silent in cyberspace and it appears that no one's listening, no one, you know, there's no response to it. At that point, I will take that as my cue. It'll be, you know, I, I can speak to God now. You know, God, I take that as my cue that you don't need me to be speaking out to the world. And I accept that. And I will no longer try to do so. And I will accept that this movement is just between me and you. And I will then move forward from that point on just giving my testimony uh, of just kind of further burying these things in my own heart. But these first two episodes have been, um, they're more for just kind of giving God a chance to speak out. Um, to anyone else he may want to call through this, um, through my own speaking. Um, let me encourage you first, um, if you haven't listened to episode one, I would like to encourage you to do so. These are episodes are meant to kind of piggyback off each other. Um, but the present time, it may not be critical that you do so. You may listen to this one first if you want. And then um, if this is the one you came across first, then go back and listen to episode one later. I don't think that'd be a problem. Um, you can find the episodes, go to savedfromdeath.com and that'll give you the episode list right there, uh, which at the present time should only be two episodes. And so, uh, this is episode two. And, um, what we're going to talk about today is in the last episode, I spoke of basically what it is to do the will of God and why it's so, um, basically what sin is and how sin is anytime we're not doing that, which God desires. And why it's so important for us to do what God desires, because he created us. You know, he is the creator. We, did, we don't self-exist. He created us for the purpose of doing his will. He created us for the purpose of bringing him pleasure. There was a, something he wants out of our life. And if we're not giving that to him, if we're not accomplishing what he created us for, why would he keep us? Why would he extend, you know, our lifetime past this minimal set of years we've been given um, basically to re reveal our heart towards him? Why would past the day of judgment, you know, he say, yes, I want to keep you. I want you alive because you're bringing me joy. Um, there's no reason to think he would. If our life is bringing him grief, if we're not doing that which he desires, if we're not accomplishing that which he created us for, 
you know, death is the only outcome. It's to take this thing he created and say, sorry, I have no more use for you. You are not doing that, which I created you for. Uh, Life is not something we have a right to. Okay. We didn't create it. It's not our idea. It's his idea. And it's based upon his, our life, our right to exist is totally conditional upon his approval and his own being pleased with us. Now, with that said, I, in the last episode, I talked kind of about sin or righteousness, doing the will of God is never an actual, I'm not sure what word I use, maybe an active, it's never a, God is never, doing the will of God is never an actual demand upon us to do something we don't naturally want to do. Instead, it's more of God saying, these are things you are not to do. The will of God is that I don't afflict my neighbor, that I do not do things that put other people, that frustrate others, that dishonor my fellow man. Every single man, this is something God's really been impressing in my heart these past few days, it's really burying in me, is every single human is absolutely as important as me. No one is more important, no one's less important than Jason Holman. They are, every single person is as important as I am am. And it's very important that I recognize that. And uh, when we recognize that and we treat others the way we want to be treated, you know, that's, that's basically called honor. And God is wanting us to honor each other. He's trying to raise up a people who will treat each other with full respect and, and in respect of saying you are as important as I am. And the things you desire in life are just as important as the things I desire. You have no, I have no more right to, to being happy than you do. We both have equal rights to happiness. And God is trying to uh, work that, you know, out in his people. Um, but but so what God is saying, he's saying, do not, here's my will, you do not dishonor the existence of another person. You know, Jason Holman, you want your person to be respected. You want you to be honored. You don't want people to try to embarrass you. You don't want people to try to frustrate you. You don't want people to humiliate you. You don't want people to take you for granted and act as if they have a right to something uh, more so than you do. That their right to a particular thing is more valid than your right to it. You want them to honor you as a fellow human. And, and Jason, that's what you are to do to your fellow man. You are to honor them. You are never, ever to, you know, to intentionally embarrass them, to take away their honor, to take away their dignity. You are never intentionally to frustrate them, to make them feel cheated. You treat them with the same respect you want. And, um, but God's wanting that to come from a heart. It's, it's something he develops in us. So it comes from where it's, it's not a chore. It's, well, of course, why would it be any other way? Um, and that's part of the good work he does in us. But so his will is not, Jason, I'm creating you to go out and you're going to be the dishwasher um, for all your brothers and sisters. When I hate washing dishes, I don't really hate washing dishes. I don't care. But that's just an example. Uh, Jason, you're going to be the guy that mows the lawn. You're going to be the one, that, the groundskeeper for all your brothers and sisters when maybe I hate that kind of work. No, God is not creating me to do his an outward will, an expectant will, a demand. Um he wouldn't do that. He's created me to simply the things he's saying, this is my will. It's things he's saying, these are things I do not want you to do. Do It's my will that you treat others with respect. It's my will that you do not frustrate, that you do not take others for granted, that you do not dishonor them by embarrassing them, by taking away their good name, by speaking behind their back, talking negative about them. Um, 
do not show dishonor to another human. And then in that also, it's Jason, I want you, do not be false, do not be fake. I created you perfectly. You do not have to pretend. You do not have to put forth effort to be something you're not. I want you to live totally naturally, totally in total freedom, trusting that your creator did just fine when he made you. And so he's wanting me, it's do not be false, do not be fake. And everything he's asking for is so good and so lovely and so right. His will is not a hard thing. It's not something that brings grief to humans. It's something that brings freedom. It's something that brings harmony and unity. And it's just the utmost of wonderful what God is trying to accomplish, what his will really is. And so the last episode, we talked about what sin um essentially why it's important to do the will of God and a little bit of what sin is, how it's when we don't do the will of God and um, it, it causes him grief. God has a will. He has a desire. And then the conflict is when I'm not doing that desire, there's frustration, there's anger, there's grief, and there's a determination from God that says, no, away with you. I will not have this. I'm not going to be grieved by something I created to bring me pleasure. Um, and so then death, physical death, would be the actual, you know, tossing away of what he created and saying no more. Um, so that, that's what we talked about in the last episode was the will of God, um, how sin is when we're not doing the will of God, and why death is then the wages of that sin. Our physical death is the wages of sin. Um, in this episode, I want to talk about why we would actually sin. Why sin is even why we have a a tendency to do something other than the will of God. Where does such a temptation come from? Where does such a a power over us come that we would be anything other than that which God created Uh, or or do that which was his will? Why would we do anything that's in opposition to his desire? Think about this for just a second. We have a perfect creator who's perfectly wise and perfect in all his works. If that is so, and if he created something to do his will, then why would there be any failure in that creation to do his will? How could there be a failure of man to do that which God um, wants if God is perfect in all his works? Let's take this to a mechanical kind of uh, area. God says he wants to, God desires, I'm going to create me a vehicle that can transport me from galaxy to galaxy in the blink of an eye. We would expect if God wanted to do that, God's going to accomplish that, and he's going to do it perfectly. And that vehicle is going to function as God intended. We don't say that in confidence of the vehicle, anything about the vehicle itself, as if it created itself. We say that in confidence of God, in knowing he's going to do this perfectly, he's going to do it right, and it's going to function. It's never going to stall. It's never going to break down, because God knows what he's doing. God is going to make it perfectly to do his will, that which he desires. But if that would be the case with a machine, why is that not the case then with humans? Why is it even possible for a human, how is it possible for us to do something that is contrary to the will of God? Why is there, why, how, how, how does that happen? God made me perfectly. You know, there's a verse in the Psalms. I'm not sure which Psalm it is at this point. talks about this. I will praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, if I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, carefully crafted by my creator with great care and concern, how could I ever do something that's defective, something that's going to not function properly in his eyes? Well, I'm going to explain that today. I'm going to give you kind of tell you how 
uh, that comes about. Talk about the power of sin or why it is that we have a bending, we have a tendency towards that. Why is it just not perfectly natural for us to honor one another? What is in us that causes us to want to embarrass another person, to to want to frustrate another person? It takes pleasure in seeing someone be angered by our actions. What what could possibly be in our hearts that that causes such um, such nastiness? How did God, if He create, if we're if we're created by a God who who knows no such wickedness, how can something that flows out and proceeds forth out of God? be so contrary to to, he, to whom he is in nature? How can we have a nature that's, that's opposed to, to what he is? Well, I'm, so that, that's kind of what we're going to talk about in, um, in this episode. Once again, I have no notes. I mean, no notes. I should have written down at least a few. I am trusting that, that this will come out the way it's meant to come out. And I am trusting ultimately that at the end of the day, I do believe that all I speak, if nothing else, is always for my benefit. God always seems to accomplish in my speaking. Never has it so far produced any fruit that I can tell in the life of someone else, but it always produces fruit in my life. So what I do here, even as I'm speaking out a little bit to the world, what's happening is, God, I'm actually sorting out thoughts. I'm sitting here talking about things, and I'm further as I'm speaking them, they're further getting buried into my heart. They're becoming clearer. And then as I'm speaking, there's chance that there's a chance that as I'm talking, I may notice a conflict in something. Wait a second. A new thought will come. A new troubling area like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And it allows me then to go into a new place of examination of and allowing God to, to make sense of this troubling conflict that, that I've just stumbled upon through my talking and so, and he always does have a resolution. That, that's a cool thing. Everything, every time I run into a conflict and then begin to seek him further, there's always uh, a resolution. Everything in the scripture is in perfect harmony. Everything God is doing makes perfect sense. It, 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 it's astounding. Folks, you, if anyone is called to listen to me over these next few weeks and episodes, the things I'm going to tell you, you just can't fathom the glory of it all, um, how well it fits together, and, and just the plan and wisdom of God. And so I'm trusting, though, that, that it will come out the way it's supposed to come out, and uh, hopefully, it, I'm sure, maybe take a longer way of getting there than, than some, someone else would, but we will get there all the same. And trusting that God is first working in my life through this, I'm going to rest in peace as I'm out here talking, I'm not going to get stressed of, am I taking too long, or is someone bored? Um, somebody judging me for being um, rambly. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to be confident God is going to accomplish in my life first what he wants to accomplish and then give this out and allow it to go into the hands of others if God so intends. Um, and so let me veer off here one more time and just um, explain something. This, As I said earlier, this should be the final episode of me speaking out to the world. This is kind of it. This is if God can't take this and put this in the hands of the world and it bear any fruit and there's no response, then I will know, Jason, give up the idea that you are to speak to the world. Now, that's kind of the only reason the idea exists in the first place. I want to explain this is because these truths are so incredibly radical. They are so I I know they're the truth. I, I it, it makes sense of everything in Scripture. It's been working in my life. It's been proven. But it's so contrary to anything I've heard anywhere else in the world. And the, what that does, it, it creates in you, there's just this belief 
that just possibly, you know, if you're familiar with scripture at all, if we're, we're to say it's a literal story and it's really a history book of the world, then there's actually prophecy speaking that there's going to be a day coming, a, a further day of restoration in which truth is restored. And there's going to be a forerunner to that. There's going to be a, an, an Elijah of God. There's going to be a John the Baptist rise up. And, and so in my life, you know, as I'm, as I'm witnessing, here I am learning these things that are clearly of God, clearly imparted to me from him. You just can't get past a suspicion. You're just like, God, are you raising me up for me? Is this just my own personal growth as a child and you're just being faithful to teach your own child? Or am I being raised up, you know, to speak to the world? And so, uh, you know, so many times lately I've, I've put that issue aside. And I'll realize, no, this is between me and God. I've given up all belief that just possibly, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, going to be a voice in the last days that, that God is raising me up to speak to the world. And it's, I like those times when, when there's no belief that that may be. But then God will teach me something new. And it just, once again, it's like, oh my goodness, if the world only knew this. And I feel compelled to speak out to the world. And it's like, I just got to give God a chance to, to make sure that, you know, he's not. So no, I have no voice from God. Jason, you are the man. Uh, absolutely nothing. I have no confirmation. This is just, it's always a testing the waters. And then if it dies, oh, then, then I move on um, further in my walk where God wants me to be. And I get to put that notion aside that, that he's using me in any way for the sake of anyone else. And I get to just kind of, you know, absorb it uh, selfishly and just, uh, eh, that's not a good word there, right? I'm just trying to say, I get to just take it in, um, and know that it's between me and him. It's not between him, me and the world. Um, and so I am perfectly fine with that. It's just, this is kind of the last time I'm going to test the waters. Last time I'm speaking to the world. And, um, and so once this is done, I move on and I'm going to move into the glory of what he's sharing with me. And I'm just going to, I'm fully going to move forward with it and no longer linger in, on the outskirts of trying to stay back to, to speak to the world. I'm, I'm no longer going to worry about that. I'm just going to begin to share my testimony and tell of what God has done with me and how he's brought me here. Um, and so, but, so this is that last message for the world, uh, intentionally for the world, unless there was some response that made it clear, no, Jason, this is the hour and it's now time. Um, but if that does not happen, then I'm done. And, and so I'm not done with the podcast, just done with the thought that it could be for the sake of anyone else. So uh, with that all said, we're now going to move into what um, I want to talk about, which is why could we sin? If there really is, if we are perfectly made and we were designed to do the will of God. Why can we do anything other than his will? How could I not be honoring to my fellow man? How could I not be any how could I not be true to myself? How could I not be what he created? What what is in a person? How do, how does this even happen? Well, um and so that's what I'm going to try to explain for you. Um first of all, let me ask you this question. I hope I'm proceeding in a way that's um, I, I hope I'm doing this in a way that is satisfactory for my listener. Let's begin here. Let me ask you this question. Let's pretend we know it's a sin. It would be a sin to, if you had a used car and that car had many problems and defects and you sold that car and you withheld that information from the buyer, 
so that you could get a greater value out of the car to get more money out of it, okay? Now, we know that would be dishonoring to your neighbor. That would be a very, that'd be a, a great act of despising your fellow man. You're saying, I don't care that later down the road, you're going to feel like a fool and you're going to feel embarrassed that you purchased something. You're going to be mad at me. I don't give a damn. <laughs> Just, um, you know, what a, it's despising others. Yeah. So we'll say, you know, I don't give a damn about how you're going to feel. I'm concerned about what I'm going to get out of this. What, you know, what a great act of dishonor. What a great act of disrespect. What an amazing sin against the will of God. Okay. So we know that would be. Okay, but so so let's say we know that's a sin to defraud somebody, but you're going to hold back knowledge. You're selling a car. You know it's really a piece of junk. It's barely worth the price of scrap metal. But um, you're going to misrepresent the car in order to get more money out of it. And therefore, you're not going to reveal all the problems. You're not going to reveal all the defects of that car. Now, let me ask you this. Who would be more tempted to do such a thing? There's two people that are selling this car. One is a man who has an abundance of wealth. He has no financial difficulties at all. Money is just of no concern to him. It is the furthest thing from his mind. Or you have a man who is in financial distress, and he doesn't know if he can even pay his rent this month. If he can't get so much money out of this car, then he can't pay his rent. He can't buy groceries for his for his uh, family. And they're not going to have food on the table. So there's two different people. They have the exact same car, and they both need to sell it for whatever reason. Which person is going to be more tempted to lie and to deceive in order to get more money out of it? Well, I think the answer is, you know, obvious. It's going to be the person who is has the greater need. The person who needs the money. The person who needs the additional benefit of what he could get out from being deceptive. This person has the temptation to actually steal, to dishonor, to defraud. The other man has no temptation. He has no need. There is not a reason in the world for him to not be anything but honest with the car. He's still going to sell the car. He's not giving it away. He's not... Um, his heart isn't saying, I want to go give this to just whoever. He's still going to sell it. That's the way he works. But when it comes time to sell it, he makes sure the person knows every single thing that's wrong with it. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. And this is what I'm asking for it. If you think it's fair knowing that, fine. If not, make me an offer. um, But he has no temptation. That man has no pressing need that could possibly cause him, you know, to do that which um, would dishonor another person. But the, the poor man, the man who has need, a pressing need upon him, he actually has a reason. He has a temptation to, 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 to misrepresent the car. He has a temptation to deceive, a temptation to, to dishonor the buyer of the car. Um, and, and so it doesn't make it any less wrong. It's still not going to make, think of the buyer's perspective. We can have a little mercy on the seller if we really know he's in that much distress. We can have mercy upon him. But at the same time, it doesn't make what he's done any less wicked as far as the, from the standpoint of the man who bought the car. The man who bought the car, if he gave so much money for it thinking it was something that it was not, when he finds out it was not, 
he's going to feel very foolish. He's going to feel very angered. He's going to feel very embarrassed that, that he was deceived, that he, he didn't, I should have known more about cars. I went through this just recently, um, or it's been about a year and a half now, you know, so I guess I'm talking from experience here. And I'll tell you the way I, I, I felt when um, I was looking for a car for my son. I was trying to help him out and trying to do good in his life. He, we have a, not a, a, a weird relationship, and he doesn't let me do a lot for him. Um, but in this area, he was going to let me go out and look for this car for him. And I found this car, and I thought everything about it was good. Um, and bought it from this, uh, not really a dealership, but some guys that they kind of, they had fixed, I knew it had some, you know, fixing up done on it. I knew these guys were flipping this car, but that wasn't a problem. It was low mile Honda Civic, um, drove, sounded good, drove well, uh, just needed some shocks and a battery. They put the battery in and I do the shocks later, but later I get the car home and find out I'm smelling a bit of antifreeze after driving it for about an hour. I lift the hood and realize, to my shame and embarrassment, that there was a cracked, the block. Honda Civics had a segment of years where they had a defect in their blocks. And a lot of people got them covered by warranties, but this car was past that extended warranty they gave. And it had a, that they had sealed up with JB Weld, and yet it was still trickling through. And I looked at that and I'm like, how did I miss that when I was looking for the car? But, you know, I didn't really think to look on a block to see if there's a crack in it or something. Um, now, I can't promise you these people say they knew nothing about it. They got the car from an auction and they 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 they, they tell me it was done before they ever got it. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is it made me feel like an utter fool. And so if it was done on purpose. It was a terrible, terrible thing because it made me feel like an idiot. It made me feel ashamed of myself. It made me feel embarrassed that I was, and then it made me feel angry. How, how can you do that to me? Um, now, if I knew they were utterly broke and they were utterly, you know, in financial straits because of no reason, you know, let's say they have a wife at home and they, um, that, that, that it's very, very sick and it's real needs in their life and they needed this extra money. I could possibly have a little bit of mercy but that mercy doesn't change the fact of the way I felt, my side of it. I was still dishonored. I was still cheated. I was still embarrassed and made to feel like a fool. They took their fellow man and dishonored me. They took my existence, my place, my right to be respected, my right to not be cheated, my right to not be embarrassed. And they despised that in place of their desire, their lust to fill their need. Um, and so it doesn't matter whether there's, you know, valid reason or not, whether the man really is poor, that is, you know, it's a temptation. It doesn't make what he's doing any less wicked. It just means there could be a place for mercy upon him once we know the whole story. Um, but anyway, sorry for, uh, diverting there a little bit, but you see two different people selling the same car. One has no temptation. It doesn't even cross his mind to be anything other than honest. It doesn't mean it doesn't reflect character in a man at all. It just means that he um, has no reason to cheat. And so it doesn't cross his mind. Whereas the other man does um, have a reason to, and he has a temptation to. And so, um, and, and, and so really that's what comes down to now. We're talking about why, how can a man sin? How can a man do that, which is not the will of God. How can we be tempted to dishonor others? What is in us that gives us that need that makes it so that we would do that? 
Well, the answer really is, in a sense, need. There's something in us that, that is hungry. There's something in us that is lacking. And because of that lack, there's a need inside us. And this need inside us then causes us to do actions that ultimately trespass, or at least causes us to be tempted. It gives a pressure upon us. It puts a, 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 a hunger to do these things that are totally, you know, they're completely out of character with what God created. They are completely out of line with that which God created. And so um, it's essentially, it's a need, a hunger that exists inside us. And, but the question is, and how does that hunger come to be? Why didn't God satisfy that hunger? And that's um, what I'm going to talk about then. So the reason people are tempted to do things towards one another that are dishonoring is because they are hungry inside. But then we got to say, okay, if that's true, then why, then God, should he not have satisfied that hunger? If God was to, let's say in a, the situation of the man selling, the poor man selling the car. Well, if God doesn't want that to happen, then should not God provide for that poor man so that he does not, is not tempted. If God really wants me to do these things and never steal from anyone. And never, and when I say steal, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about just stealing their dignity, stealing their, their sense of self-worth, stealing their honor. If God doesn't want me to steal honor from another person, then should he not, you know, make me wealthy in a way so that there's no, the temptation does not exist. And the truth is, yes, absolutely. God should definitely do that. Okay, let me explain what's happening here. Um, there's a little bit of a, a pause and a restart. And the reason for that is I was having compute, uh, originally having issues with the timer on my computer. Uh, it's on my computer screen and my computer decided to go um, to sleep on me. And I was trying to restart it while talking and it just, it was stubborn. It wasn't just a click of the mouse, wasn't bringing it back up. So um, I decided to stop where I was at and um, get that situated. And then in addition to that, once I did restart, I started talking and trying to explain um, what I was, tr- where, um, what I felt I needed to explain. And as I was doing so, I realized it was not coming out right. There were certain thoughts, certain things I just did not have real deep clarity on um, or clear enough to, to be able to express them outwardly to others. And so I paused and I took some time to uh, revamp, to really, you know, sort through it, what, and, um, or, or at least a little bit. And so, and what happened was I'm, you know, I'm ready to kind of take another stab at it. And so what's going to happen here though, is I, I'm still not confident that, that yet everything's still sorted out. And you're going to kind of be a part of a process of, of God allowing him to speak to me as I'm talking to you. Um, I'm going to, let him, you know, when I come up on an area that stumbles me, you know, to I'll stop and I'll sit down and really sort that through in my mind and then r- start back over. Um, you're, don't worry, you're not going to have to hear all the times I stop and start back over. I will edit that out. What you'll just hear is kind of take one, take two, take three. You'll kind of know. Um, you may know that it, just where I'm at, that it was more than just one try to, to get this um to, to get this all expressed. And so I guess we should, uh, at this point, just call this take two. And uh, where we'll begin with this is I will um, start back to where I was a second ago when I left off. We was talking about if God, using the example of the man who uh, sold the car and used deceit to sell it so he could get more money out of it, and, and therefore dishonored the man buying the car and caused great affliction to that man. Um, if God doesn't want that to happen, then God 
should he not provide? If God provided great wealth to the man, sell, <clears throat> the poor man, would that not relieve the temptation? Would that not eradicate any uh, tendency to, um, to 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 misrepresent the car? And um, and so the answer is yes, it probably would do away with the tendency to misrepresent the car if the man had no need for the money he was selling a car for. And so then, yes, we can say then God, yes, is rightfully obligated to provide the wealth to the man. If God wants me to walk a in, in honor towards others and doesn't want me to take from them what is theirs in order to fulfill my own need, then God needs to make sure that I have no need inside. He is obligated. and uh, But not only is he obligated, that is what he has done. Um, and, and let me explain how he has done this. It's not necessarily, um, in the physical sense, but yes, God is physical, is obligated to care for people, um, their, their physical needs. If he doesn't want people to steal from others to, to satisfy their own physical needs, he, he would be obligated to take care of that. Um, but sometimes, you know, in my own life, there's been a lack of abundance financially, but it's not, um, but God's not failing in that because God's trying to work to bring something in me, um, you know, better down the road. And so this really isn't about God's physical provision, which he is responsible to provide our the, the physical needs if he doesn't want people to, you know, literally steal from another to satisfy their own hunger. So, of course, he would be, but there's something bigger happening here. And so we're talking about the internal, I'm talking about an internal wealth. God is responsible. If God does not want me to go stealing from others to satisfy my own soul, then God has to give me an internal wealth. And for an example of this, when God, you know, creates man, he, he, he gives man a desire you know, we have a, there'll be a mutual desire for fellowship in man. One man wants to fellowship with another man who honors each other. When they're honoring one another, there's going to be a heart towards each other. And they are going to desire at times. It doesn't mean they sit and just talk, 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 but to be together, to just, you know, be in the presence of one another. And there will be some talking. There will be some communication. We are designed to communicate with each other. But what we're not designed to do is to suck life from other people because we like to talk. Because we need to talk, because we have this void inside us, because we're bored and we just want to, you know, fill the our boredom with, you know, talking to this other person. And so, you know, I'm home taking a nap, enjoying myself and um, totally content. Well, my neighbor's not content. They're bored. And so I know I'll go over and visit Jason. And, and so you, you, you come over to, to visit me when I wasn't in a mood to have anybody visit. I was content. Well, out of your discontent, you're trying to fill a void. You're bored. You're lonely. See, you don't have wealth inside. You have poverty. And therefore, you're going to try to come to fill your poverty. You're going to take from my excess, which is my contentment. And you're going to force me into conversation. I have two choices. Either just straight up say, hey, I'm not in a mood for this. You know, not right now. And, you know, and feel that that awkwardness of kind of thinking I'm hurting your feelings or disappointing you. Or I'm going to have to endure your, you know, your conversation, your, your desire to suck life, my contentment to satisfy your own lust. Um, and what's going to happen, I'm going to, instead of having fellowship with you and feeling honored by you, I'm going to resent you and I'm going to be, you know, a little bit, there, there's not going to be a heart of true fellowship between us, of true joy. Um, and so God understood this. He can't have men using other men. If, if and God can't have women using other women, we are not meant to use one another. Using one another is dishonoring. Nobody likes to be used. And that's what happens 
if we do not have the wealth of God inside us, we we, we, we are bored. We get lonely. And we're going to, our fellow man becomes a source of, we feel insecure. And our fellow man becomes a source to satisfy these areas of lack in our life. And we use them. We want relationships, not because we truly just, you know, are so drawn to this person, but we're drawn to what this person can do for us, how they can make us feel less bored, less sad about ourselves, less lonely. And what we're doing, we're using that person. Okay, instead of a relationship of honor, respecting a person and all they have and just wanting loving them for them, we're loving them for what they can do for us. And we are using them. And we know that and we feel that among each other. And therefore, there's a lot of resentment, a lot of smiling and a lot of pretending among humans when secretly we were resenting each other because we're doing nothing but using one another to satisfy our own lack. Well, God does not want this. And God saw this. He wanted men to be full and satisfied. He wanted them to enjoy each other, but only out of desire, only out of a mutual desire to be together, never out of need, never fellowshipping or, or trying to you know, be with someone because you need something from them that you don't have within yourself. That's using another. That's dishonoring. That is disrespectful. And God does not want that. So God says, I will give to man. Here's what I will do. I will place inside of man my spirit. I will come live inside of each and every human by my spirit. And I will bring inside them all life, all goodness, all peace, all joy, all contentment, all thankfulness will be inside them 24-7 because I will bring it with me. And you see, we're, we're, we can't produce those things on our own. You know, the world... Until you have the Holy Spirit in you, you, you don't understand what it is to actually have a thing of, of contentment and thankfulness that's inside you. Um, All we know is this happiness we try to attain to. If we can just get circumstances just right, if we can just make this happen or that happen, I'll be happy. We think happiness is something we achieve, and it never really works. You just All you really do is hide your unhappiness for, for a season of time, with, but it's not happiness you're actually attaining to. And, and you can't. And here's the thing, see, because we're just a bag of rocks. We are nothing but dust. Um, is all we're, and, and so our physical, our our physical bodies cannot produce spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are of God, joy and peace, life, thankfulness, love. All those things are not something that we can just make. They are imparted to us as gifts of God. Um, and in that comes then all life and all contentment. And therefore, they're inside you. When the Holy Spirit is in you, and his contentment and presence is there, the, the need to, to suck life from other people, to use others, we'll say that, the need to use other people is, um, is gone. Because you have in you, you don't need to use somebody to, to get them to listen to you because you're bored. Because you're not going to have boredom. Boredom is, you know, when God comes into you, you there may be um, times you want to go do something, but it's not out of need. It's not. It's just to enjoy the enjoyment that's already in you. Um, you're not going to be bored in, in that sense of where you're tempted to go to encroach upon someone else's space and, and time when they might not be willing and they might not be as eager. You'll have no desire. It wouldn't cross your mind to do that because you're satisfied. Um, and so when your life is full, you're 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 not. Um, there's not going to be a sense of security. There's not going to be loneliness. You will no longer 
need to use anybody because you will have inside you all life. And all your relationships with man are going to be true and are going to be honoring because they're going to be based upon your respect for that person and your true desire and enjoyment of that person. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when it comes in. It, 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 it totally eradicates all need and fills a person with all life, all spiritual blessings, where the thought of using another is just, it doesn't cross your mind because you don't need to. You don't need to use another person and your relationships will be good and pure and lovely. Okay. Now this is where though it gets um, a little bit hard to explain. So maybe this is where I will start with um, take two. Um, we'll say that once again, and this is where I'll restart back to um, once it, I run into stammering and stuttering and have to restart. Okay. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. God understood, I got to give this to men. If they are to truly walk in the righteousness towards each other, I want them to walk inside of. I don't want them using one another. I don't want them frustrating one another. I don't want them to to dishonor each other. So I will give them inside each person their own life. My spirit, my presence is going to come and, and... and to live inside them. And I'm going to give that as a gift. Now, God is giving this as a gift. And um, and yet at the same time, he gives it to those with whom he's pleased. It's a gift, but it's a gift to those who are doing his will, in whom he delights. If I delight in you, I'm going to give you this gift. And I'm going to, because how could he give a gift to somebody he doesn't delight in? You know, that would make God a liar. Why would God, I mean, that would make God have to pretend. He can't give something to somebody when his own heart is not enlarged towards them, when his own heart is not delighting in them. And God knows that. So what God's going to do, God is actually, here's what he's going to, it's a gift he's going to give. And what he's going to, but to those he delights in. This is um, how he keeps it a gift. He actually then gives what he does for man. He speaks over that man all righteousness. God puts a veil between him and the man, and this veil is called the Word of God. This Word of God is actually what you see in Genesis chapter 1 is all about, what God is creating. And at the end of his creation, he looks at all he made, and it doesn't really say he said it, but it's really kind of implied. God looks at it, and he declares it very good. And what's happening there in Genesis chapter 1, that is really about the very beginning of all God's work in us. It's the word he establishes over us, even though we're not yet, you know, righteous and though we're not yet people doing everything that pleases him. God puts a veil over, we'll say put it over Adam from the start, a veil of righteousness. God, when God looked at Adam, he saw all that was good and all that was right. It had nothing to do with Adam's reality. Adam's reality could have been totally contradictory, could have been um, everything that was displeasing to God. But that didn't matter because all God was going to see was his word. Very good. I spoke this. This is the truth. Now, so long as Adam would rest in that word and never try to be right with God, okay, as long as Adam was not trying in himself to become right with God, to become righteous, then God could bestow this Holy Spirit 
he could express it to Adam. He could actually then give this gift to Adam. So long as Adam was resting in the word, the righteousness of God, and not trying to be righteous in himself. If Adam was trying to be righteous, here's where the dilemma is with God. The Holy Spirit is meant to be a gift with no strings attached. But if Adam was actually trying to please God, if he was not resting in the word, the righteousness that God established over him, and Adam said, I'm going to try to please you, then Adam, if God gave that gift to Adam, it could not actually be a gift from God. It would be something that Adam earned. Well, God is righteous. God keeps his word. If God promises to give something and he promises it, then that means there's no strings attached. And so the moment Adam would try to please God of his own effort, that is the moment God would have to say, oops, you know, I I take this back. I cannot project my pleasure towards you. I cannot give you my presence, not because you're unrighteous, but because this is a gift and you're not receiving it as a gift. You're working for it. And I cannot reward your work. I, if I reward your work, I'm a liar. And I'm not going to lie. I told you this is a gift. And so therefore, the moment Adam would enter into works and not trust in the, the righteousness of God, that is the moment God would have to withdraw his spirit. Now, there's no reason, though, for when Adam was created, Adam did not have a need to please God. He had a desire in him to please God, but it wasn't an actual, it was something written in his heart, but at the same time, it wasn't something Adam was absent of. Adam wasn't saying, oh, I need to please God as if in he wasn't presently pleasing God. When Adam was first created, he had all sense that there was peace between him and God. The idea of trying to please God never crossed his mind because he had no sense of condemnation. You know, he was, between him and God, all was good. So the thought of Adam trying to be fake, the thought of Adam trying to to do anything to please God never crossed his mind because there was no need to. Why do I need to please God? Because I'm already, I have at peace. We're, We're good. And as long as that was the situation, the Holy Spirit was able to abide upon Adam. But the moment Adam disobeyed God and ate from that tree of knowledge. And we'll, we'll talk about the whys of that at a later time, what went on there and, and the psychology of Adam, what was really happening, or at least a plan to do it at a later time. We, I may <laughs> stumble into it here in a few minutes anyway. Um, but the moment Adam disobeyed God and, 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 and instead of guarding his place of peace with God. Now, there's a difference between trying to please God because you think you're not pleasing God, and there's a difference between walking carefully inside the pleasure you're presently in. Um, and that's what Christ was going to do when he came. Christ came into the world with no condemnation. Christ came into the world with no need to please God because he was already in a place of pleasing God. But what Christ was, he was going to walk carefully, but carefully to stay inside He was not trying to do anything as a work. He was just trying, he was making sure he did not work. He was making sure he did not do something that that would be declared a work so that God would have to take away the spirit from Christ. But with Adam, Adam was not careful. 
this peace between him and God, for some reason, was not top priority in Adam's life. And because God had one condition, Adam, the day you eat of the tree of knowledge is the day you're going to become condemned. You're going to see, you know, it's going to be the moment you're going to know what I really desire, and you're not going to be able to help yourself from trying to do this, what I desire. And, And so the moment you become condemned, you start to work. You're going to try to please me. The moment you try to please me is the moment then my gift of my pleasure upon you, the gift of my presence ceases to be a gift. And I, because of my own honor, because of my own integrity, because of my own righteousness, I speak a word, a promise, I keep that promise. I must not allow you to feel my presence, my acceptance, and my pleasure while you're working. Because this is not something you can buy from me. It is a gift. And and so the moment Adam disobeyed God, gained the knowledge of good and evil, and that one act of doing what God said no, he despised his place of peace with God, all in order really to please Eve. Um, you know, like I said, talking about the psychology of Adam, um, I, I will tell you this, I don't think Adam had any real desire to eat the tree of knowledge. It was not a temptation for Adam. It was Eve who saw it appealing. We'll, we'll talk later down the road why Eve saw it as appealing and um, why she was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. Adam wasn't, you didn't even see the fruit. It's like, oh, that looks so good to me. Adam, you know, it, it wasn't going to be an appeal to Adam. Adam ate it strictly because Eve, his wife, came and said, Adam, you know, don't you want to know what God wants of us? Don't you want to know what we should be doing to please God? And um, he simply ate it for the sake of Eve, and, and therefore putting a greater value upon his wife than upon the voice of God, saying, you know, my relationship with Eve is more important than my peace between me and God. He forfeited, as something's just coming to me as I'm speaking, so I'm sitting there, you know, actually wording this out as I go. Or, or, you know, my own thoughts or um, you're kind of hearing new material that's even coming to my own mind of really understanding this. You know, so what he was doing, it was evaluation. It was it was dishonoring God and God's place in the world as his creator. You know, pleasing God should have been a much greater priority to Adam than pleasing Eve. And so and not in a sense, like I said, Adam wasn't to be doing anything to please God. But certainly while he's in a place of pleasure, the thought of knowing something would displease God and then choosing to do that would be an act of despising the creator, an act of saying Eve is more important to me. My relationship with her is more important to me than my relationship with God, the one who created me, the one who put me in a garden. Eve didn't create me. She actually flowed out of me by by the hand of God. And yet I'm giving her greater priority. And so the moment he did that, and the moment he stepped out of and, and did a work and did something um, and did this one action uh, of despising his place, between, peace between him and God, and the moment he gained the knowledge of good and evil and understood what God really wanted from him, and he began to trust in himself and began to feel realize, oh my goodness, you know, I need to... Um, you know, I'm not pleasing God. And now I got to try to please God. And what it was, he became condemned um, in himself. And with that condemnation, with that sense, now between me and God, 
there is a gulf. There's something I got to do to try to please God. Now, the reality was, no, he did not. All Adam still needed to do was go back to trust in the word. The word that God spoke and rest in that word. Very good. Adam, from God's perspective, nothing really changed in Adam. The righteousness God spoke over Adam was still there. It was still, Adam was still very good. But Adam's own mind was now defiled. Adam's own conscience, his own heart knew that he was not, you know, he did not have a clear conscience in himself that all was right between him and God. He knew, he knew in his heart that he despised the will of God. He knew in his heart that he said, pleasing Eve is more important to me than pleasing God. And with that came a condemnation. And with that condemnation, the immediate life of God, you know, came out of him. Because now he said, what do I need to do to have the Holy Spirit? What do I need to do to be right with God? And the moment Adam's working, the moment that first work is done, is the moment God's got to say, oh, I cancel this. I void. He's not voiding anything. He's saying, I can't give this to you. I got to take it back, my approval. I got to take back my, my, my presence and, and my approval of you because now you're trying to buy it. You're actually trying to make this a work. You're trying to make this where it's, it's no longer a gift. Well, that's what condemnation was going to do. Once condemnation was present, it was impossible. No matter what Adam would do, God, what do I do to make this right? Anything Adam, whatever God would say, and if Adam tried to obey that, Adam's act of obedience would just be more work. It would be more, and if God rewarded Adam's obedience, act of obedience, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, God himself becomes a liar. It's not a gift. It's no longer by a promise. And once God gives something by a promise, the only way it can be obtained and received is through, um, you know, receiving as a promise with no work at all. But this is what happened in man at that moment. Man received a defiled conscience between them and God. And they understood, they knew in their hearts, they were not doing the will of God. And, and, and they knew that, there was, that, that they were not truly with everything in them being obedient to what God desired. And with that came then, um, you know, there's two choices. You either ignore God completely and you just try to pretend that failed conscience does not exist. Or you try, you approach it, and you say, God, what must I do? But there's still, it's the same answer for either group. Um, neither group can have the life of God in them because they're working in some way. Those who are trying to just ignore God, they're working to ignore this, this defiled conscience. They're trying to satisfy their conscience that's defiled between them and God by pretending God doesn't exist by, I'm just not going to pay any attention to that by pretending it's not important. They're still working. And that's the only thing that keeps them from God, from giving them the gift of life is because they are working in some way. And then those who come to God and try to, you know, to make it right, the same thing, it, it, they're still working and God cannot just give them the gift anymore. There's nothing. And so no matter what a man says, what must I do to be made right with you, to be brought back into this clear conscience? There's nothing that can be done in, in, through man itself, because whatever he does is going to be an effort. It's going to be an action to try to please God, to earn his this right relationship to clear our conscience and in that work then god cannot reward with because it would be a payment it would be saying okay it's it, it's it's not a gift it's because there were strings attached and um of what you did 
and it has nothing to do with what man does. The, 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 the catch is, though, that man can't quit trying to do anything now without the help of God. And, and so, therefore, the only way a man can be saved is if God comes in that man and works in his life and brings that man into God's plan of salvation, of laying down all works and bringing that man to a place where he's no longer condemned in his heart, where there is complete confidence, only when there is confidence between a man and God, so that that man is laid down all working, can God then say, ah, I give you my spirit. Now, it has nothing to do with the man's work because he achieved some level of clear conscience between him and God. It's just that the clear conscience allows God to give the gift to the man without it being considered payment for, for the man's work. And so that's only possible when a clear conscience is restored. Now, let's ask one question, though, in all this would be, why did Adam, uh, hopefully I can get through this real quick here, I won't sidetrack too long. Why, if Adam was the one who did the work of, you know, disobeying, stepping out in his own mind, the will of God, and defiling his own conscience, why was all mankind brought under the same condemnation. What? Wh- how did that happen? Why was one man sin? And th- th- that is essentially what happened. That is, you want to know the root of sin in the world. Okay, uh, why is the world a crazy place that it is today? Why is all this nonsense happening? Why are people so ugly to one another and dishonor one another? Well, um, there, there's a few different reasons for this, but one is they have no contentment. The Holy Spirit is not in them. They have no inward life. They are a bottomless pit of need. And therefore, all they see their fellow man as, their fellow man is nothing but a person to be used to fill their need. There's no honor among people anymore. Dishonor is always show because people are nothing but what can I get out of you? And sadly, that even trickles down to why parents have children. It's not because I want to give. I want to, you know, give life and nurture and care. It's not from a positive. Sometimes, you know, God still creeps into, I think, there, there's, there's plenty of that actually in the world still. The parents, the parents' heart just seems to be almost, um, um, I don't know. I know even before I had Holy, Holy Spirit years ago when I had my children, there was still a desire to nurture, to actually care. It wasn't all a selfishness of what do I get out of it. But it was there too as well. It was, you know, we're going to, my children, if we have kids, you know, we're catching up with what everybody else does. It kind of it added quality to my life. So even in a way, having children was using my kids. I was going to have children. What can I get out of it? I can get greater joy. I can get greater satisfaction in life. Instead of having children is so I can honor them as people and I can nurture them and, and, and share fellowship with them. It was, what do I get out of you? And so, yes, it does trickle down to our children. It's just not quite as strong. There is still a heart, you know, a protection, a natural instinct in us that, that wants to actually do good for, for our children. Um, but, but that's what happened among men. There's no inward honor. There's no inward, um, there, there's no contentment. There's no satisfaction. Men are nothing but a means to an end for us. And all we do is use, use, use one another. And we know that. And that's why there's resentment. And that's why we, we smile at each other. We, and we have relate people we're buddies with and all, but there's not that heart that looks at that other person and knows you got my back. You know I would never embarrass you. You know I would never encroach upon your time. You know I would never cheat you. You know because I honor you. 
I see you as not as something to feed my need. You are your own unique person. You are your own unique individual, worthy of respect, worthy of honor, worthy of of the same happiness I myself am trying to attain to. I see you not to feed me. I see you as your own individual that I can share joy with and share life with. Um, But there's none of that in our world because there's nothing but need. And all man is, is how can I use you? What can you do for me in my life? We're nothing but tools. We're nothing but means to an end for each other. And that's why this world is the nasty place that it is. And now, well, that's one half of the story because the Holy Spirit is not present. There's no satisfaction in us. We got to use one another to fill this void. But because we're condemned and we're not fessing up to God and we're not running face to face with him and saying, God, you know, what must I do to be right with you? And really sincerely knocking at his door, prepared to give him all allegiance, all whatever it takes to be right with you. Because we're not really willing to do that. We hide in the corner and just kind of pretend we're trying to please God to our various religions and our various uh, beliefs that we try to, and our good works we try to do here and there. But since we're not doing that, since we're not running and coming face to face with him and knocking at his door, what do you want? What must I do to get this relationship right between me and you? What must I do? We hide from God and we live with this defiled conscience. And what that does, this condemnation is present inside us and it creates insecurity. It creates a sense of failure. It creates the need. Look at the world around you. What is everybody trying to do? They come from the womb, running full speed, trying to make themselves better than they are. There is no confidence in who they are as people. We got to become. We got to get richer. We got to get healthier. We got to get smarter. We got to, got to, got to, got to, because I got to get better than what I am. And, 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 um, And then we use people to, if we can, so not only are we not satisfied, but we also now have this lust to prove we're not failures. We have this lust to, to, we'll use people intentionally because if I get, I'm talking to somebody and I'm holding their attention, I'm holding that person captive. And while they're captive with me and talking, I'm kind of like God. I kind of have a place of superiority and, um, and I'm getting the feel for that moment that I am important. You know, we need a sense of importance because inst- we're all condemned. We, we feel like failures. But if I can, whatever I can do to get, you know, someone's attention, and we'll use, you know, we seek attention all the time in this world, and now it's just craziness with social media and all. What we're trying to do is get our own place of importance. We're trying to satisfy this condemnation that's in us, this sense of failure. We're not just dealing with the void of not having God's spirit discontentment, we're dealing with a whole nother monster called condemnation that makes us feel inferior. And so the only way to get rid of our inferiority is to try to become superior. We try to become superior to other people. And we're going to get better at something than what someone else is. I'm going to get richer than my neighbor. So they'll look up to me. And if somebody's looking up to me, then certainly I'm not this failure that I feel inside. You feel like you're a failure because you're condemned before God. But instead of knocking at God's door, and saying, God, what do you want from me? God, let's get face to face. It is you that my conscience is defiled towards. We ignore it. And we try to pretend it doesn't exist. We try to feel like we've satisfied it. 
And, and you know, that's what Christianity is today. That's what this false version of asking Jesus in your heart and you'll be, you know, it's not dealing. That has nothing to deal, do with dealing with a man's defiled conscience towards God. That's simply trying to deal with this penalty. We, we think, well, I don't want to go to hell for not doing the will of God. But it has nothing to do with a man trying to say, God, I want to be restored in fellowship with you. I want to know I'm doing your will. It's just a bandage admitting we know we're not doing your will and we don't really want to get in trouble for it. And we have no intention of doing your will. And therefore, you know, God has nothing for you because you're condemned, but you're choosing to stay in your condemnation. And as long as you're condemned, the only wall between you and receiving God's Holy Spirit, the gift of life, the abundance of all goodness is your condemnation. But your condemnation is going to abide because as long as you're condemned, you're working. In some way, you're working towards God. The atheists, they're working. They've developed this. I mean, you've got to work, honestly, to say there's no God. You've got to um, look at the world, and it, it would take a whole lot more effort to say this was not created by someone than it does to believe it is. They're working. Why are they working? Because they're trying to hide, you know, if God doesn't exist, then this, con- this condemnation is not real. They're trying to get rid of condemnation. Um, otherwise, if they really didn't believe in God, if they seriously just didn't believe in God at all, and, and they honestly in their hearts had no belief whatsoever, then they wouldn't be working towards God to please God subconsciously. They wouldn't be trying to fix this, this failed conscience. And if they weren't trying to work, guess what? They would have the Holy Spirit. So the fact they do not have the Holy Spirit upon them is a gift to God is, is proof enough that their atheism, um, all the, any religion denies or um, attempt to deny God is a work. It's a work they're trying to do to get rid of this defiled conscience. If God doesn't exist, this condemnation can't be real. It can't be real. Well, they're working to get rid of condemnation. All religions are works to get rid of condemnation. What You know, we know we're failed with God, but instead of getting down in God's face and banging at his door saying, I am seeking you, what must I do? I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it takes to make me right with you. We instead, because God is so little esteemed among us and we esteem the praises of men more and we're not really willing to, to you know, it's, we want to pretend we want to do his will, but in our hearts, we don't really mean it. We, 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 we just hide. We invent religions and we subject ourselves to these miserable, miserable works, you know, and, and it's just nothing but work to try to undo a condemnation that's present in us, but it never works. The condemnation's still there. And the evidence of that is you're, you know, there's no Holy Spirit. There's no life. There is no gift of God in you. There's no contentment that abides upon you 24 seven that just, um, that, that makes you an unneedy person, that makes you not need other people in a negative sense, that makes you not want to use people, that makes you not want to use our planet and abuse our planet, and, and makes you so that you're not a consumer. It's just consume, 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 because you're so dissatisfied inside. Um, that's all, you know, you're condemned. You're not working, or, or you're, you're working to get rid of condemnation as long as you're working until there's peace between you and God. In some way, God, and that's what the gospel is. We're not really, I don't think, going into it today. The gospel 
is God's way of what he's really doing. He's delivering the man from condemnation so that the man quits working. He's giving a man a total, a real peace between him and his creator. A real sense of, ah, I know I'm doing your will. I know I'm doing what you ask. I'm no longer trying to please you because I am pleasing you. And when that's known, the man quits his work. And when the man quits his work, the moment the man stops all working because of condemnation, the gift of God is able to be imparted to him as a gift. God is able to keep his word and righteously give that gift to the man. But as long as condemnation is present, then the man is working in some way. And that's Christianity. It's working, folks. You're trying. There's no trust. You you haven't come to God to clear your conscience yet. You haven't banged on God's door. Instead, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not doing right. But Jesus can get me out of all my trouble for not doing the right thing. You know, that's not going to work. You know what you're doing in your conscience. It's defiled. I say, you know what you're doing. Maybe I spent 29 years in that, kind of knowing what I was doing and yet not... When the day came that God really called me and banged at my door, Jason, hey, it's between me and you on this day of judgment. Jason, wake up. It's it's suddenly, it's like, I feel, felt like, ooh, I've been a fool. And I kind of knew what I was doing. And yet at the same time, had I known what I was doing, I don't think I would have continued doing it. I wanted, I had regard for God. I wanted to be right with him. And I, um, but at the same time, I was playing a game. It's kind of hard. It seems like a contradiction there. It's, um, it was done in ignorance, but I was ignorantly condemned. And, um, I, I certainly was not yet coming before God. I was listening to man. I was putting higher regard upon the voice of man than what God himself was saying. And it was only when I turned away from all that nonsense and said, God, I will listen to you and you alone. And I don't care what it cost me. It, this might cost me my family. This might cost me my wife and children. This might cost me all I have. But I want to be right with you. And only then when I meant it. And there was no wavering at all was God able to then bring me in to his way of salvation to read to get rid of all condemnation and give peace between me and him. Now that was 20 years ago and it was going to be a long, Oh, there's so much to to have learned since then, even though I was not condemned and I lost that sense of con, I didn't understand what had happened. Uh, I didn't understand the peace that was between me and him. I had no clue that I had no understanding of what I'm telling you today. And it was going to take 20 years of a long journey of God of teaching and working in me to bring me understanding of the things I'm sharing with you now. Um, but anyway, it, uh, it was only then though, man, I got serious with my creator and I started banging at his door. It was no longer, Oh God, just kind of tell me what you want. Um, you know, if you want something from me, let me know. And I'm gonna go about my life. No, 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 no. It was me banging at his door. God, I, I I'm seeking you. What do you want from me? What do you desire? I want to be right with you. And as long as I was seeking to be right with him, I still wasn't right. But there was going to be a moment when that seeking continued. God was going to, there was going to be a line I was going to cross from death unto life, from condemnation unto what must I do to please you, to the confidence that oh, I am doing exactly what you want. And in that knowledge, um, in that knowledge, in that confidence, God was able to bestow his gift upon me, his gift of the Spirit, and it truly be a gift. Um, and... and um, there's a lot to be said about that because it really had nothing to do with my confidence. It was all there in what God had already provided in his word and what he had already established. He just enabled me to step back into it. 
and to lay down all work and to once again trust in his word. Very good. So that there is peace between me and him. Um, but people, I had to get face to face with God. There was no more hiding. There was no more vain religion. There was no more vain works. There was no more dishonesty. God, what must I do to be right with you? And I meant it. You know, I was, I seriously believed that I'll tell you this story later, the whole story, but I believed that it was possible of losing my wife because I was going all in with God and he was getting top priority, whatever it cost me. I was prepared to lose my job. I was a staff member pastor um, at a church, and uh, you know I had a decent salary for a non-educated, non-college educated kid. I had, you know, I, I had a decent living. I was prepared to lose that. I was prepared, whatever the cost. I wanted to be right with my Creator, because that was the one. You know, who else is there to be right with anyway? He's the one that created me for His purpose, for His pleasure. Being right with my wife, she can't give me life. She can't give me eternal life. What she got to offer me? Yes, I want to be right with her. Yes, I want things to be good, but but she's second priority between me and God. No, I don't want to lose my kids. No, I don't want to lose. But guess what? They're second priority between me. They didn't create me. It's between me and my creator. God, I want to be right with you. What do you want? And in that sincerity, and it's a sincerity he was, you know, working in me. The salvation is of the Lord. None of this happened accidentally. I didn't just one day wake up and go, oh, okay, I'm going to. No, God was there knocking at my door, pursuing me, already knowing what my choice was going to be. And so this was all initiated by him. Um, but, but, but he was, you know, the priority I had towards God. The the choice to say, God, you're more important than any man in my life. That was, you know, that came from my heart towards him. Um, and and so, but so why does condemnation come upon all men? I know I started to tell you this a second ago or several minutes ago. <clears throat> you, um, the secret to that is why did Adam, how did Adam bring all men into condemnation with him? <clears throat> the truth is really this. Um, <clears throat> the answer, sorry, my voice is getting a little, um, uh, let me take a sip of water. Um, the, um, the answer to this is actually found in Hebrews chapter seven. It's just kind of a little hidden gem that explains it all though. And, um, what it has to do, go read Hebrews chapter seven for yourself, um, in, in the Bible. And, um, in that you're going to see that there is this King, there was a man named Abraham who, who met up after this battle with this King whose name was Melchizedek. And this Melchizedek is a, a, a picture uh, of Jesus Christ. And so, and it's talking about how Abraham, after this battle where he uh, rescued his um, nephew Lot um, from, from, from these enemies, in, in, during this time, there was a, a, a king that showed up. It's kind of just a weird story. It's like this king just pops up out of nowhere, and, but Abraham recognizes this man's great place of honor. And Abraham honors him with a tithe. This is before, you know, the, the idea of tithing was even initiated in the, the law at, later on with Abraham's descendants. And so Abraham gives a tenth part to this great king Melchizedek. Well, the writer of Hebrews is trying to illustrate the fact of how important Melchizedek is because he's saying even the Levites paid tithes to this Melchizedek. Now, the Levites were the people that God ordained to get tithes from the, um, all the children of Israel. That was a tribe who was going to oversee all the spiritual aspects uh, of the Israelites. And, and the, their payment was people would give 10% of, of their income to, to 
to support the tribe of Levi, who was not doing other occupations like working crops and, and cattle and things like that. And so, but but the point um, the writer of Hebrews trying to said here though is think of how great this Melchizedek was, because Levi, who was supposed to receive tithes, actually gave tithes to Melchizedek. Well, and then it says for Levi, but how is this possible? Because Levi wasn't there. Only Abraham was there giving tithes. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says, because Levi was in, the tribe of Levi was in the loins of Abraham when Abraham paid tithes. So he's saying what Abraham did, all of Levi, the entire descendant, the entire you know, tribes of Israel were still inside of Abraham. They were there inside his body have not yet, they were all going to proceed forth out of Abraham. So they were there with Abraham when Abraham was paying tithes. Now, the reason, one of the little secrets that's written there in scripture, it's giving you the answer of how Adam's one sin affected the entire world. When Adam came under condemnation, it wasn't just Adam. You were there. You were inside of Adam. You are Adam in that instance. You were one with Adam. You were part of his flesh. You were part of his body. So when Adam became condemned, you became, even though you weren't born yet, you were there. You entered into Adam's condemnation, and you were born into that condemnation, that sense you enter the world with this sense of, God, what must I do to be made right with you? And we either confront it and get face-to-face with him, or we ignore him and give greater value to man than we give to God. And we'll never come face-to-face with God. We'll let man tell us how to be right with God. We'll let man offer us plans of salvation that do nothing for the soul instead of giving a greater honor to God that he deserves. God, what must I do to be right with you? I'm knocking at your door. I will not let you go until you tell me how to fix our broken relationship. And then God's got a man who, who's hearing his voice. And then God has a man that God can lead that man to the way of laying down his works in Jesus Christ. God has a man that he can restore that man's conscience so that that man can be free and truly not say, what must I do to please you? For the man will go, I am pleasing you. We, we, we're, we're good. And in that God can give that man life and give that man contentment and give that man everything inside the man so that the man no longer does these things that God hates, these actions of despising and dishonoring the neighbors. This man is now a candidate for life. This man is one who's not only covered in the righteousness of God by the word, but this man's works are actually glorifying and pleasing to God. This man honors his neighbor. This man will not cheat his fellow man, for this man recognizes the importance of his fellow man. He recognizes that that man has the same rights to happiness and good things as he himself has. No one is better than the other or more important than the other. And and this man honors his, his fellow man and wouldn't dream, but this man has no need also. This man has no need in him to cheat. He has no need. So not only does it not cross his mind because he, he just, you know, not only does it cross his mind because he, he um, has no desire to, but also that man's own heart, you know, has been worked in by God. It, it, and so that's what I can say today with me. You know, there, there was a point years ago when God's spirit was in me where it's like my actions were good. I wouldn't dream of hurting somebody or cheating them any longer. But it, it, it wasn't yet a heart condition of really understanding that person is every bit as important as you are, Jason. 
But over the years, God has worked and as he's taught and it keeps working in my life, there is truly a heart now. It's like, I won't cheat you, not just because I have no reason to, but it's my great pleasure of my soul to treat you with honor and dignity and to never, ever make you feel stupid, to never, ever embarrass you, to never, ever, you know, encroach upon your time and act as if your time is less important than my time. I won't do that to you. My heart is now connected to you. I'm not just not hurting you because I'm content and have no temptation to. I'm not hurting you because I wouldn't dream of it. No matter what, you know, agony I go through, no matter what hunger comes to me, I won't take from you to satisfy what I need. That is not why God put you on this planet. You are not here to, 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 for me to use. You are not a tool. You are not a means to an end. You are a fellow human that I honor, that I respect, and that I will treat with the utmost of respect and dignity. And then, oh, the glory of it all, folks, whenever that man looks back at you and God's worked in that same man's life, and you perceive that from him, oh boy, you talk about friendship, you talk about fellowship, you talk about love and joyful, I'm talking joyful love, I'm talking about where two people are just, they, and you know, it doesn't mean they'll be best buddies, it doesn't mean that they'll, you know, they may go years without seeing one another, but their hearts are knit together with such grace and favor towards one another, and such joy and the thought of each other, um, that's the blessing, that's what God's trying to create, is a whole network of people like that, but God's got to work in lives, and he's got to do this his way. Um, but, but at the present, what you see in this world, the craziness, why that doesn't exist, every man is trying as an island. Every man is trying to be superior to another. We use other people to build up our own little private kingdoms, and we do that because, first of all, we, we have no contentment. We have no life in us. We have nothing but need in our soul, but we're also condemned and that sense of condemnation creates an insecurity, an inferiority that we're trying to undo. We, we, we love worship. We love to be praised. And that's why, you know, we yak, 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 yak. When that person's focused on me, ah, I'm getting attention. I post on Facebook and people look at it and they click that little like. I had their attention. I'm not saying everything we post is evil. There can be things that we truly joyfully want to share from a good heart. It's not that there's no good that happens in this world. But the majority of what happens is people using other people. It's disregard. It's dishonor. I'm going to try to show off my life to you of how much better my life is than yours. And you're going to look up to me. Oh, when you're looking up to me, I'm getting worshipped. Well, I can't be a failure. I can't really be, you know, a nobody if you're worshipping me. This condemnation must be in my imagination. And see, you're working to undo condemnation subconsciously by getting worship from other people. And God hates that. You're using others. You know, the worship God wants has nothing. God can't even relate to such sickness. And yet, because we're so sick with this desire for worship, we actually think God delights in that. We go to church, and we think we're doing God, or what we call church, and we think we're doing God a favor by, oh, singing these songs to him, and he's just up there just eating it all up. Gross, gross, gross. If you knew your God, if you knew how absolute much nonsense that is to him, it's not that I don't sing with gladness. It's not that my heart's not filled with joy that expresses through song, and he loves that. He loves to fill me with joy and to see it expressed. Oh, he delights in that. But to think he's actually delighting in some ego trip of all these people worshiping me. Folks, you only have that perception of God because you have that perception in your yourself. You have that need in yourself to be worshiped and you project that same desire for worship, evil worship, using men for your gain. You project that upon God and you assume that he feels the same way. Folks, nothing can be further from the truth. It's only in your imagination. 
And you're not going to know the difference. If you don't get face-to-face with your creator, if you don't confront him and come knocking at his door to make it right with him at all cost, at all cost of other relationships, and it may cost you, be prepared, okay? It might cost you relationships with husband, with wife, with children. It may cost you jobs. It may cost you um, creature comforts. But what you're going to gain out of that is knowing that you know that you know you've knocked at his door. Knowing that you know that you know that you said, God, I want to be right with you. And when he, you know, he actually provides a clear conscience to his own work. But it works in conjunction with you knowing that you knocked at his door. It's not going to happen. God can't do anything for your conscience when you yourself are not committed to, to whatever it takes to be right with him, to be straight with him at all cost. And only then, when your own conscience knows that you know that I've held nothing back, and then when God, you know, he does his work of bringing a person into Christ, then it all works together, and there is this true, clear conscience, this joyful knowing, God, I'm not trying to please you because I'm doing so. When that peace is felt, you may not even recognize it. I didn't recognize it years ago that, ooh, I am pleasing you. I didn't recognize I'd laid down my works, but I can look back now and see that that's what happened. I was done. I was at rest at that moment in my life. In that season of time, and God's spirit was in me. Life. Oh, what life, what joy, what peace, what glorious days those were until God needed to take me further in the journey. And he was going to take away some of that peace because I was going to pick up my works. I didn't understand yet. And I was going to resume working, trying to please God. And yet he was in that. He knew exactly what he was doing. Um, It was all part of bringing me here today to be able to share what I'm sharing with you. So anyway, um, we are brought under condemnation because we were inside of Adam. And because we're condemned, we are working before God. We're working in some way, and God sees that, and God cannot give us the gift of life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that will keep us, make us truly righteous people between us and our fellow man. Um, he can't righteously give that to you because it wouldn't be a gift. It would be you paying for it, you trying to achieve it, and that would dishonor you know, his own name. <clears throat> and and he's not going to do that. And so it is only through, um, you know, it's going to be his plan to restore your conscience between him, you and him. But it will not happen until you turn your face to him. Give up this game of playing with your creator. Give up this game of pretending that, you know, all is right between you and God or pretending, trying to ignore God, trying to just, you know, you know what you're doing. And you will not settle this until you get honest and you get bold and you are willing to lay it all on the line between you and him. And then and only then can peace be restored in his way. It'll be his provision. It'll be his plan of giving you a clear conscience. And when a clear conscience is there, then comes life. Then comes the spirit of God upon you. Then comes all goodness. Then comes a a man who can begin to truly honor his neighbor, his fellow man, and quit using people and quit sucking from people in order to actually be one that says, hey, I'm here to share life with you. Let's walk this road together in unity and fellowship of joy of knowing, you know, that we, we, we we're both here for one another. Um, and, and it's an amazing thing that God is working out and what he's going to create in, in the world to come and how he's doing that person by person um, right now. Well, I, I don't know what he's doing in the lives of others. I know he's doing it in me and he's preparing me. Someday I'm going to be ready to be a good neighbor, a good brother because of God's faithful work in me. Um, but anyway, there's why a man does not do why we do things that are contrary to the will of God. 
why we dishonor one another, why we're, we're fake and false. You know, God wants us to be real people and not lie. That's dishonoring other people. When I try to present to you to be something I'm really not, to make you think better of me, then it's dishonoring to you. It's cheating you. I'm giving you a false representation of myself. No one likes to be lied to. We feel stupid when we're lied to. And, um, but we're, we're false because we're condemned. We're ashamed of who we are. And, and we want people to think better of us. And, so, and, um, and therefore, we can't be who we really are. And that's what God wants. I want you to be the people I made. I want you to be honest in who you are. I want you to enjoy who I created with no shame. But all of these things, all this comes, um, you know, it, 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 it only comes when the life of God is present in us when all condemnation is done. Then and only then will we begin to bear the actual real fruit of what God desires. So the reason we're not doing, the reason we don't do the will of God, the reason we are worthy of true physical death because our works are nasty is because we are under, uh, God made us perfectly, but we are under our own condemnation between us and him. And we have no gift, we have no inward satisfaction we have condemnation, and those two things combined to make this world the miserable, nasty place that it is. A people eat, hating people. People eating each other up. Dog eat dog. Because no life exists. Condemnation is thriving. And this is the world. The world we live in now is, you know, is what it is for that reason. Um, but I'm thankful that God put me in this world. He lets me see what such gross, you know, how evil it is to dishonor one another so that, you know, more and more my own heart gets, wow, I am not going to do that to my brother. I am not going to do that. The more afflicted I get in this world by others, the more my heart resolves. I won't do that to my fellow man. I will make sure that my life is, you know, that's not going to happen because I'm going to show honor and I'm going to show respect and I'm going to treat the other humans the way I want to be treated as real humans, not a tool to satisfy the needs of Jason Holman. You are not my servants. You are my brothers. You are my fellow man. And I can't wait till God works in the lives of others. Do I get to look in the eyes of one person who looks at me back with that same respect, that same honor, that same knowledge of knowing they wouldn't cheat me to save their life. They wouldn't dream of using me just to satisfy their own, you know, agenda that I'm not something to be used. I am a person to be honored. I can't wait until that day comes when I, when I stand face to face with, with such a person. But God knows what he's doing now and he knows why you know, things like that aren't in, in my life. I have people, I have good people in my life that God you know, are a breath of fresh air to me. But, um, and I'm thankful for that. It keeps this world from being so overwhelming. I do have some people that do seem to you know, show me honor and, and respect, but it's still, there's something I'm still hungry for and I, I, know, I know that day will come. Um, is God works in others the same way he's working in me. And maybe he's going to use this, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody will listen to this and it'll begin the day of you. Hey, it's time to knock at God's door. It's time to, to come face to face with this condemnation that's in you and, and, and this defiled conscience and approach your God prepared for all costs. It will cost you. But what you're going to come out of at the other side of that is a clear conscience of knowing that you laid it all on the line. And once that's done, what you're going to end up with, clear conscience, the life of God, and something you just simply can't fathom, his approval upon you, and, and knowing all is well between you and him. Folks, there's nothing, nothing like it. 
Now, I, 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 I don't know if I covered everything I was hoping to cover. Uh, I may have left things out. I'm sure I'll listen to this later and go, oh, I should have said that, but I'm well way over the initial, initial time I, I, I started with uh, or intended to go, but that's okay. Um, and, and um, this least been good for me, if nothing else. So, um, giving questions, feel free to contact me saved from death contact at gmail.com. Um, once again, you find these, these, um, audio files, just in case you came across it through Facebook or something, the actual web page, it'll get you your web address use, excuse me, saved from death.com. And that'll bring you to the main page of being able to pull up the, the audio files. Um, I don't have this really, I think I'm on an Apple podcast, but I haven't really spent time to get connected to all those and really know what I need to do to promote it, um, through that Avenue. Um, but someday maybe I'll get motivated and make that happen. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you listened, um, and if God, you know, use this for the sake of someone else, that, that'd be great to know, you know, don't be afraid to send me an email, say, Jason, I'm awake, you know, and, and my, um, I, I don't have a way of knowing really who listens, who does not. Um, I can sometimes look at my stats there. Um, it, it's just not always consistent. There's, um, I think sometimes it, it shows, a if I listen to it, it like shows that three or four people listen to it. It'll count my view as, and so it can show let's last episode had like 16 listeners, but I don't think so. I think it had three or four. Um, but if you are listening, you know, and you're like really listening at this point, don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Just let me know, you know, and I'll, I'll at least know that, you know, it's, there's actually a person out there listening. Um, and just, you know, send a note, save from death.com or, or click the like button. Even that, that would help if, if you have a, a way of doing that. Um, of just, um, if it'll let you without having the, um, Podbean app, if you can just click like, um, you know, I'll know at least somebody, I won't know who, but somebody out there, you know, liked it. So, um, not liked it, but you at least listen to it and that you're listening. So anyway, no pressure to do that. Um, just if you, you know, you want to, uh, it, it'd be good to know, but otherwise I thank you for listening and until next time I will, I guess, talk to y'all later. Thanks for listening.